This is the I Work For Him podcast. To make sure you never miss a thing from I Work For Him, subscribe to our email list. Just head to our website at iworkforhim.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page, click subscribe, and sign up. We'll send the very latest blogs and podcasts from I Work For Him so you never miss a beat. That's iworkforhim.com. This is producer Michael Marigle. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get to today's program. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. Thanks for tuning in to I Work For Him this afternoon. As you're listening to us live in Tampa Bay and on iHeartRadio, maybe you're listening to a rebroadcast right there on Red Nation Rising on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. However you're hearing the show today, just know that we've prayed for you. We've prayed that the words that we speak today will be right from our Heavenly Father's heart and that they'll cause you to dig deeper into your faith. Just know that every day we do that because this show is never about me. This is not a Jim Brangenberg monologue. Never. That would be it's totally scary. This is about the Lord and what he's doing as he helps us understand that our workplace is our mission field. And then that mission field, you and me, may be the only Jesus our coworkers and employees may ever meet. That your workplace, it's not by chance that you need to be in that workplace so that your coworkers can meet Jesus and you may be their only chance. So here's my question. Is your work killing you? I mean, seriously, is it killing you? Does the thought of going to work cause you to be anxious? That never happens. Yeah, except on Monday morning. Is it even possible to be joyful at work? How do we pursue being joyful? Is it a pursuit that can happen? Is there a simple plan of action to be joyful? Somehow I really doubt that. What is joy really? Is it happiness? Is it contentment? Is it something else? How do we flesh this out and how do we incorporate this into our calling? into our workplace mission field. Well, we have just the guy to help us. We've got Jeff Spatafora. He's the director and global coach of Global Coaching Services and Product Development at Halftime Institute. Yes, that halftime. The halftime that we've given away hundreds of copies right here on I Work For Him. I Work For Him because halftime changed my life. Halftime shifted my paradigm. And Jeff Spatafora, our guest today, not only is part of that incredible organization, Halftime, He's written a brand new book that was just released called The Joy Model. Jeff Spadafora, welcome back to I Work For Him. Hey, hey, Jim. Thanks for having me here. You know, I'm so excited to be talking about your book as I get a chance, as I tell, I tell my guests who write books that have them on, I, say, I, I read the book. I read every book. If, if an author is going to be on my show, I read the entire book. And people go, really? Read the book. Yes, I've read 29 books this year already. And... Mm. Uh, I love being challenged. I love seeing somebody else live their faith out on the pages and because it, it inspires me. I, I, I get a huge benefit by it. Not only do I get my Bible reading time, but I get, I get to see how the Lord's working on other people's lives. And that's what I liked about the joy model because it was kind of, hey, here's Jeff Spadafora's story in, in, in a book called The Joy Model. So every day, Jeff, you get a chance to feed into men and women in their halftime as they're contemplating there's got to be more than this. Men and women who have come to the spot in their lives where they realize there's got to be more. How did the Lord grab you in and lead you into your halftime? How did God get your attention? Well, you know, it was exactly what you just said. There's got to be more was the question that was really just burning in my brain and in my heart. I was um, 40 years old. Uh, I had been a management consultant for many years. It was good work, it was noble work, it was making a difference in people's lives, um, but it wasn't really kingdom work, and it wasn't 
I don't think exactly why God put me on the planet. At least, you know, we see a lot of people at the Halftime Institute where their work becomes their ministry platform. Um, I had a sense that maybe that wasn't the case for me. And um, somebody I was telling this to said, man, you're in halftime. You, you're, you're at this stage where your work is, is good but not great, and you sense that God is calling you to something else, but you're not sure what that is. That's halftime. And I had never heard of it. You know, I, was, I live in Colorado, and I was fly fishing with this pal up in the mountains of Colorado, and we got out of the river. He gave me the book, and I read the book. I called the Halftime Institute. I enrolled. And I worked with a coach to go through the process. And it's an incredible process. I have not personally gotten to go through the process with a coach. I had to do it the hard way. Over the last <laughs> over the last 13 years, I've been going through that halftime process. But it is that book... And we'll give away a copy at the end of the at the bottom of the half hour or two or three. I've always I've always got a hundred copies sitting around. They're in my trunk. They're in my closet. They're in my briefcase. I I give away halftime all over the place. You just have to ask Rhonda in your office. It's like yeah, hey no, I send cases to Jim all the time because halftime just caused me to pause and say I was pursuing success, which is elusive. It's unattainable. Because it, when you get where you think you need to get, you're always thinking, yeah, but how much is enough? Oh, just a little bit more will be enough. But when you realize that the Lord really called us into significance, even right where we were at, and yes, there can be significance in our success, but a lot of times those two are disconnected. But then to take it to that next stage, which is surrender, and to understand that everything we do is for the Lord, that's a powerful sequence of events. But it really, especially for a stubborn guy like me, it took a lot of years. So how exactly do you get to put your halftime experience into practice each and every day as you work now for the Halftime Institute? Well, it's so interesting how God redeems everything. So, you know, as a management consultant, I was focused specifically on leadership and executive development. So it's really, it's basically adult human behavior change. And that's kind of what I get to do at the Halftime Institute with the Holy Spirit infused into the middle of it. It's people who say, okay, I get this idea of success to significance. I know that God has good works planned in advance for me to do, but what specifically do I do now to start moving into living out this calling? Like, don't talk theoretically. Help me get specific. What is the process? And so when I went through the the Halftime Institute 12 years ago now, um, I, I realized, you know what? I think my calling is to help people figure out their calling. And so with all of my executive coaching experience, I I called up Bob Buford and his team at the Halftime Institute and just said, is there any way I can help you? And they said, climb aboard. So I started volunteering, and then I went part-time for them where I renegotiated my contract with my consulting firm for a year. And then I've been full-time now since, um, since 2007. And I have just had the opportunity every day to help people go from this theoretical, mythical concept of understanding and living out your calling to actually, at a practical level, help them do that, given whatever their unique situation is around their marriage, their health, their finances. And uh, so I get to do that, like, every day. It's like just living my hobby. So I really enjoy it. <laughs> and and my, as my father-in-law would always say, if you can find a job that is exactly what you love doing, you'll never go to work another day in your life. 
That's the way I feel. It's just a blessing. It really is. So how did all that interaction with executives and CEOs and and people that are leading organizations, all of those people that you've helped lead them through and help them understand their calling? And and, and just so that everybody understands, Halftime is not just – it's – it's an organization that will help you not just say, okay, you're in your halftime, you're going to go off and work vocationally in a ministry somewhere. It's to help you understand who is it that God has called you to be, what has he gifted you with, and where does that plug in best, back in your organization where you're existing in or maybe in a new organization. It's it's not necessarily a call to vocational ministry. It's a call to workplace ministry, wherever that workplace may be. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and that's the thing. You know, people listening right now just heard my story. Well, there's another guy that went from the marketplace to ministry. And yeah, I read that Bob Buford book. And there's another guy who went from marketplace to ministries. And what we always say to people is say, listen, that may be my story and that may be Bob's story, but it's not our recipe. Our, our belief is that we need bold, creative Christians, not just in the local church and the parachurch world, but we need bold, creative Christians at banks and in hospitals and in universities and factories and department stores. And so the point here is that not that going into full-time ministry, quote-unquote, is what you're supposed to do, because full-time ministry is anything, regardless of the platform, for-profit or not-profit. And the point here is not leverage, like what's more leveraged? Should I you know, leverage my work platform or leverage the parachurch platform? But what's more important is obedience. And so what we do at the Halftime Institute is we don't help you come up with creative Christian volunteering ideas. We help you figure out your unique calling. Volunteering and calling are two radically different things. And so it's not necessarily where's the leverage where I'm at. It's what is God's assignment for me. And so a big part of what we do at the Halftime Institute is not just practical, holistic Christian life coaching. It's helping people grow in their spiritual depth so that they can actually hear the caller to get their calling. And so it's partially, it's one part practical, one part spiritual to get it figured out, get your assignment, and then get your life in alignment with that assignment. Jeff, what was it through all of this coaching experience that you have done since 2007 with Halftime? All these, I mean, how many people have you coached in the last Uh, you know uh, 10 years? Over over 200. All right. So, one on one, over 200 for a year each. What was for a year each? What was yeah. it about those 200 people that said, I need to write a book about joy? Well, it's really good. Uh, it's a great question. And, and the other part I should also tell you is that there are 41 halftime coaches around the world. So it wasn't just my data points and experience. It was also listening to the other 41 coaches and their experience. And what we were finding, Jim, is that people were able to go from success to significance, and significance being defined as what can you do that's the most leveraged and most noble way to love the world, to make a positive difference in the world, given your unique gifts, your passions, your interests, to advance the kingdom of God, to bring heaven to earth. And we saw people moving the needle. But interestingly, we saw people who were doing that and actually still not experiencing joy. And so I started to ask people, you know, why are you trying to figure out 
your life purpose? Because that's why people come to the Halftime Institute, to figure out their calling, to figure out their life purpose for their next season of life. I started to ask them, if you figured it out, what would then you hope to experience? And the, I, I continue to get four common answers. Peace, contentment, fulfillment, and then most frequently, joy. And so what I realized is the end game is not to figure out my calling. What people think is that by figuring out my calling, I'll experience joy. That's what the human heart really craves. And so I started to just observe and benchmark and look for best practices of people who were in the significance category, but also were just loving it. We're having this deep sense of joy. And so as I started to pull that together, both my observations of, of my halftime clients, but also my own personal journey, I started to see what the, the recipe, if you will, that, that God has given us for joy. And that's where the book came from. Well, and you called the joy model, a step-by-step guide to peace, purpose, and balance. And my question is, is it really possible for us to learn to be joyful. I mean, I figured that when I became a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit comes to live within me, and one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. It's the second one on the list that Paul writes, love, joy, peace, goes on. Doesn't it, shouldn't it just come naturally, this joy thing? Well, it should be, but there's there's two dimensions to joy. There's what I call the being dimension. It's like who I am, who's God creating me to be, who is He shaping me to be, uh, who am I and was I originally before I got hijacked by the agendas of the world, you know, other people's expectations or Wall Street or the pounding messages of Hollywood and Madison Avenue. So there's this whole sort of being, it's just this whole sort of paradigm thing. And and some people have have some growth on that dimension, like they might be a Christian that's kind of done the John 3.16 thing, where it's kind of like, um, you know, I, I punch my ticket, I'm going to heaven, you know, the, God's my Savior, Jesus is my Savior, but He's not yet my Lord. And so there's this whole being side, it's this whole paradigm and spiritual growth side. But then there's this whole doing side. How do I take this this new identity in Christ, this new relationship with Christ, and how does that manifest itself in the practical parts of my life? Well, and, and I think people have a clear misunderstanding. I think that's part of the church issue is that people think they could have get their get out of hell free card or their yeah. entrance uh, entrance to heaven card free without the lordship thing. I, I don't really I don't really see it that yeah. way. And yeah. and that's that's part of that's just training. That's discipleship for people to understand that stuff. And that's really what I love about halftime is you're really discipling people to a whole another not not level dimension of thinking it's a whole other dimension of thinking all right so let's define for people what joy really is because i I, you know because most of us i'm sorry most of us when we hear joy we think happiness yeah yeah and happiness is different than joy and you know I, i ask this question of people all the time and they actually get it right all the time you know what's the difference between joy and happiness and eventually somebody says well happiness is circumstantial And joy transcends your circumstances. Regardless of what's going on in your life, there's still joy because there's hope in Christ, there's humility, there's gratitude. One of the best things I think about when it comes to joy compared to happiness is this acronym ALIVE, always living in view of eternity. 
And so happiness is like, you know, when work's going great and the finances are great and the kids are behaving and your wife and you are getting along and blah, blah, blah. I mean, who wouldn't be happy? But the key is, could you have an eternal view, even if some of the wheels are coming off of that cart at a practical level? And that's where joy is is different from happiness. So, I mean, the joy model, when you, you, you've got it in there, you, you actually, you know, you do a great two-dimensional uh, graph that we all learn how to have in, in geometry, <laughs> you know, which kind of... A geometry was not one of my better. I loved algebra, geometry. I struggled with, and when I got the trigonometry, three dimensions, yeah, that that just that just threw me. I, it, it killed my ability to be a meteorologist, but that, that's yeah. that's okay because you needed to be able to get to physics and calculus and whew. okay. Anyway, so two dimensional graphing models, and you kind of put people in quadrants. Where did you come up with this? The quadrant idea. Maybe you could explain that and draw a picture for people as best we can with words. But this this whole idea that there was a a method for getting us from where we are to experience a joyful life. Yeah. Well, I think the big thing is I know that pictures and models sometimes speak more clearly to people than just words. And so I had been noodling on for a long time, what is a visual image of how joy works? And and literally um, on September 11th, 2013, in the middle of the morning, um, after after kind of working on all sorts of models that never quite depicted exactly what I felt I was reading in Scripture and seeing in my clients' lives, all of a sudden, bam, I think God just downloaded that model into my head. And basically, it's this, this if you look at an X and a Y graphic um, axis, you've got a, on the horizontal axis, it's being. And on the vertical axis, it's doing. And it's how do I grow in my faith? That's the being. And then how do I take action in the doing? And I I think the best verse that describes this is John 15, 5. I'm the vine, you're the branch. Okay, so that's the being. I'm going to connect to the vine. Then apart from me, you can do nothing. And so the good works flow out of your relationship with Christ. And if you look at John 15, 5, and then 6, and 7, and 8, where, where Jesus keeps reinforcing this idea, you connect to me and good things flow out of you. If you get to verse 11, he says, I tell you all of these things so that your joy will be complete. So there's the formula. How do you connect to the vine, grow in your spiritual life, and then go act on and live out of who God is shaping you to be? Uh, and and the master plan that you come up with stands for, it's a great acronym. I mean, it actually has so many pieces in it, and that's what I really want to dig deep in. But before we do that, ha, you know, as we talk about joy, let's make it personal. Have yeah. Have you ever had your inner joy tested? You've been married to Michelle for how many years now? 27. You hesitated a little long at Michelle yeah, been on yeah. the air. She'd have kickboxed you. She, I mean, she's a, she's a super athlete. Everybody, you know, Michelle's been on the show as well. And so she would, do you guys run together? Does she exercise you close to death? Or, or is oh, yeah. It, okay. Oh, yeah. Close to death and then nurses me back to life. Yeah, that's good. All right. So have you and Michelle ever had your inner joy tested? Oh, big time. You know, the, the sort of the opening story of my book is when my 17-year-old son uh, overdosed. And we thought, he's going to die. And uh, I was in just a, I mean, we were both, I mean, just imagine how you're kind of a wreck on that. And um, I would say my joy was very low at that moment. But as soon as we knew from the paramedics that he wasn't going to die, and we just knew, man, this has got 
you know, at least he's not going to die. But we've got really a long stretch ahead of us around getting him healthy and safe and all of the things that we're going to need to do and all the fallout of, of his relationships and people around us. Even in the midst of that, Michelle specifically, she just felt, you know what? God knew this was going to happen, and God's got a plan. And it just clicked in my brain, you know, Romans 8.28, is that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called to his purposes. And, and Michelle and I just felt, you know what, in our heart of hearts, we love God, and we are called to his purposes, and so we're going to trust he is going to work this out for good. And so it was challenged, but we actually had a sense of joy and peace, even in that crazy moment. It, it is when we find out, when, when we experience something devastating or super challenging, whatever it may be, we really find out where our faith is. And, yeah. and to be able to experience peace and joy in the moment when things when there's a bomb going on, a nuclear war going on around you, it, it yeah. is that's when you know, okay, I've learned what Jesus learned when he was sitting in the, in the garden when he's going, Lord, if you want to take this away from me, I'm good with that. Otherwise, not my will, but your will be done. I mean, he was, he was there. He was experiencing both sides of the battle at one time. Uh, and, yeah. he, and, he, and then he was deserted by his friends. So the, but that, that God can work all things together for good for those who love him. And they're called according to his purposes. That what a great promise that is. But what it doesn't yeah. say is God can work all things together for good right now. Yeah, yeah. He'll redeem it in his own time and in his own creative way. Yeah, he does. And he takes us from who we are. He uses that adversity to take us from who we are to who he can use more effectively. You know, Jeff, we got a lot of people that just have tuned in uh, at the bottom of the half hour, and they're wanting to know, hey, what are we talking about, Jim? Why don't you just talk a little bit about this? You know, the model that the Lord laid on your heart, you know, joy, you, you deal with, you're a coach, you're a halftime coach. You've, you've coached, as you said, in the beginning of the show, 200 different people, uh, but you get information from 41 coaches around the world. What was it that was missing in these people going through the halftime experience that you said, I got to write a book about joy? Yeah, I, I think what it really is, Jim, is just the fact, and I, and I don't think it's unique to the, the halftime sort of client base, if you will. I just realized there are a lot of Christians going to heaven, but are not experiencing the promise of joy. And for whatever reason, they, they can't seem to crack the code on it. And so they think, well, maybe it's just like that's like a metaphor that, that uh, is in the Bible. Or maybe joy just happens after you die and you go to heaven. Or maybe I'm just a spiritual dummy and I'm the only guy that hasn't figured it out. And so they kind of give up on it. But it is truly a promise from the Lord, but it's elusive for people. And so I was able to work by just observing all of my clients and looking at my own life um, to see who the ones that are cracking the code on this on this joy thing what are they doing what are the what is the, the best practices if you will that lead to joy well and as you wrote this book you, you put together a model and you call it the master plan and it's so and it's an acronym master is margin abiding self-awareness, treasure, engagement, and relationships. And I don't expect you listeners to remember all that, but Jeff and I are going to kind of dig through this because this 
is a revolutionary idea that we can learn joyful. And I got to tell you, here's how I learned about joy. I kept saying, Lord, it, it's it's one of the gifts that's supposed to flow freely out of me because I've got the Holy Spirit living in me. Love, joy, joy, joy. Lord, I, I prayed for years. Lord, help me to understand joy because I know it's not happiness, but it's really, let me just ask you this question, Jeff. If you said that joy is a lot more like contentment in all your circumstances. Is that a fair definition or is that not fair? Is contentment and joy no. different? No, no, no. I think those are de- definitely the same. You know, where, where, where the real difference is when people think about happiness, which is more circumstantial, when the general stuff in my life is going great, then I have happiness. But can I have joy? Can I have contentment? You could even say peace despite my circumstances. And that is a spiritual dimension. It's a spiritual paradigm. It's a spiritual reality that is available to some people, but they, they're just not quite there yet. Okay. I just want to make sure, because in my own mind, I was just, yeah. I mean, I've always kind of related contentment with joy, but that was yeah. one of those things that as I went through Crown Ministries in 1999, my life verses became Philippians 4, 11 through 13, which Paul talks about how he learned to be content, whatever mm-hmm. his circumstances were. And, and and I'd never understood contentment, but that was what was driving my pursuit of elusive success and the gathering of much garbage here on earth that would eventually end up in a landfill. So uh, so let's break this down. The master plan, M, stands for margin. Why is margin so critical to you and I experiencing joy? And as we think about margin and experiencing joy, one of the things that's really important for us to understand is that margin is something that we all really struggle with trying to understand what is margin? So, Jeff, your perspective on margin, why is it so important? Yeah, it's really, what I like about the master plan is is it just kind of came to me. It wasn't like some, I had to come up with some contrived notion and kind of force fit some catchy little word to make it work. It it just actually works. And margin is is first and foremost because a lot of what I see is happening with people that aren't experiencing joy is they have no space in their calendar to just slow down. So many people are just so slammed with busyness and overwhelmed with busyness that it really it sucks the life out of them. And so the, the, the reason for margin to be present uh, if joy is going to be present is one is just slow down and breathe, breathe easy, but two... What I find is is people, a lot of the Christians that aren't experiencing joy, actually don't have a full understanding, maturity, and real belief in who Jesus Christ is. And the way to get that is to create some space in your time, in your calendar, and really dig into the Word. Dig into your prayer life. Dig into all of your spiritual disciplines. And so most people who are stunted in their experience of joy, even if they are going to go to heaven, they're not fully developed in their spiritual life and their walk with the Lord. And it's because they don't put the time into it. Well, and I think that is something that almost every Christ follower I've ever met in the United States struggles with, because margin goes to time, it goes to busyness, it goes to roadblocks to actually digging deep into ourselves, digging deep into our faith. So many of us struggle with just being, here's what, here's what I say, just shut up and listen to what God's got to say. I got to speak that way because that's the way I, I, the Lord sometimes has to use a two by four in my own life. But that mar, I think, I mean, I wrote more questions about margin for our interview today than anything else, because if we could just understand the margin thing, 
Yeah. The Lord's got time to work in our lives if we would just give him some time. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that happened to me and it happens to half timers all the time is everybody's busy. But when you're discontent with your current life gets to a point where everything you've tried to figure it out just isn't working, then you're you're broken enough to say, you know what, I'm going to carve out some other things and I'm going to figure out this joy thing, or I'm going to figure out this calling thing. And so really what it is, is when somebody, because a lot of people will try all sorts of time management techniques um, to, to, you know, recoup some time. And you can do that. You might be able to, you know, delegate better, be more efficient, leverage technology. You might get 10% margin in your calendar. But when you really are at the point of, like, I've really got to figure this thing out, I'm broken enough, confused enough, frustrated enough that I'm going to dedicate the time to doing this, then it's easier through a more emotional approach than a strategic approach to create time in your calendar. And I see it with people all the time, sometimes not in a negative way, but in a positive way. I've seen some of the busiest people in the world all of a sudden decide to write a book or start a business on the side or pick up a new hobby. They didn't have the time for it necessarily, but the motivation was strong enough to just go impose it on their calendar. Well, and understanding margin and getting margin in our lives is critical if people want to move forward on the master plan. What did you and Michelle do? What did the Spatiforas do when you realized, hey, our margin was suffering? What did you do in order to be able to dig deeper into this joy? Well, the big thing for me is I kept looking for shortcuts on how to get the joy (laughs) without getting the margin. And so... I, I finally, it just, it just hit me one day, I read this quote that it said, as long as habit and routine dictate the pattern of your life, the full dimension of your soul will never unfold. As long as habit and routine dictate the pattern of your life, the full dimensions of your soul will never unfold. And I just realized, you know, Jeff, you idiot. If you want your life to change, you might actually have to change something about your life. And so it, it just it was just kind of like, okay, enough is enough. I've got to do the hard work of growing in my faith and really understanding who is God, who is Jesus, what does he have available for me, and what is he asking of me? And it was just that level of, of frustration that drove me to make the hard decisions. We're talking today with Jeff Spatafora from the Halftime Institute about his latest book called The Joy Model. It's a great model to help you and I understand the step-by-step pieces that we needed, the master plan to allowing joy to grow in our lives. Because I'm still, I'm convinced, Jeff, as much as we do these things, it still takes a work of God in our hearts to get us through this model. But but allowing God the time, giving God the margin in our lives to be able to do these things is, is really the key, which is why I, I love how you put margin first. Because if there's something that everybody is struggling with to get this process started— it's margin. I mean, so many of us live marginless lives. We have no room for an emergency or a disaster or a death in a family or, you know, an extra accident on the way to work. Most of us are live so tight that that we're a mess if anything goes on a, not not according to plan. All right. So M is for margin. A is for abiding. Again, something that I'm still learning. What is abiding all about? 
Well, it means to to spend time with the Lord. It actually the, the word abide comes from abode, which is you know where you live in to live with. And um, my encouragement is, as you create the margin, you know, they say that nature abhors a vacuum. As soon as you can create that space in your life, intentionally fill it with ways to grow in your faith, to spend more time in the Word, more time in prayer, uh, more time journaling, and, and, and just double down on your faith journey. That is my big encouragement once you create that space in your calendar is leverage it that way. Well, and, you know, I I loved, I had Buck Jacobs on here from uh, C12 many, many years ago, and, and he said, Jim, I just learned that I have a 23-hour day. The first hour is always the Lord's. And if I yeah, gave right. the Lord that first hour, I could get so much more accomplished than if I didn't. And, and that's, yeah. but to fill that first hour with with prayer and with Bible yeah. reading, I am astounded yeah. how many Christ followers don't read their Bible. Well, that's exactly it. And, you know, A.W. Tozer said the most important thing about a person is what comes to mind when they think about God. And what I find is that there are tons of people who go to church that actually have an immature and incomplete picture of who is God really. They think they've kind of got it figured it out, figured out but um, there's always room <laughs> for growth. And so... Wherever you're at, if you're on a scale of 1 to 10 around your spiritual growth, or if you're at a 2 or if you're at a 7, there's always room to grow. And so my encouragement, and what I talk about in the book and what we help people at halftime do, is to put together a personalized, customized spiritual growth plan. And if you think you've got God figured out, that's your first clue that you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I just giggle when I, when you tell me people think they've got God figured out. Yeah, I think I was like that probably way back when. But I, now, the more and more I grow in my faith, the more and more I realize I don't know anything. <laughs> All right, so margin and abiding, and the abiding part is so key. Every one of us needs to develop a disciplined, quiet life so the Lord can speak into us. But self awareness is a big piece of this. And back in October of 1987, where October of 1987, back October 19th, remember Black Black Monday, the, October yeah. 19th, the stock market crashed. In October of 1987, you made a decision that got you off track. That was because yeah. you weren't really being aware of who you were. What happened? Yeah. Well, what it was is I was uh, I, I graduated from college. I was working in um, it, with a software company at the time. And I, uh, having grown up uh, in New England, the son of a football coach and a high school player and a college player myself, I realized on one Tuesday afternoon in October, I was in my cubicle in my entry-level job. It was, a, it was the very first Tuesday since I was eight years old that I wasn't walking onto a football field. And it was about three o'clock in the afternoon. And what I realized is that that football field had been the most comfortable, most natural, most enjoyable place for me to be in. And here I was chained to a desk, chasing some American dream when my heart really wanted to be a coach. You're sitting in your cubicle, October of 1987. What, what state were you in? I was in Illinois. Illinois. You said you were from the, you know, the New Englands. I figured maybe you're up in, in the Northeast. Okay, you're in Illinois. Yeah. In Illinois. And, and you're realizing for the very first time on a Tuesday afternoon, you're not walking on a football field. And so the choice was: Do I bury that dream, 
or go chase the money like all of my college pals. And like the world tells you to go get the American dream. And at that point in time, I buried my heart and I chose money. And um, what I find in coaching so many people, particularly with men, is that many of them bury their dreams sometime between age 20 and 26. And they opt for the pathway that our popular culture tells us to go, as opposed to what their heart's really yearning for. Now, God redeems things, and as a result, I got back, I got into the management consulting game, which prepared me to do what I'm doing now. So just growing in my self-awareness uh, is so critical in terms of understanding how can God use me, how does God see me, how, what is my position relationally to him, Growing in that self-awareness is a big step towards joy. Does your office have AstroTurf in it with the stripes? <laughs> no, it does not now. But it and, should. Uh, it should if that's God your dream. Coach. <laughs> Sorry. All right, so the master plan, margin, learning to abide, becoming self-aware. Then there's the last three pieces, treasure, engagement, and relationships. Yeah. Treasure is a big deal. So many people are lacking joy because they don't have a true biblical understanding of how God has arranged money to work. How does it fit in? And so many people are wrapped up in money based on what Wall Street tells them, based on what all the investment organizations tell you about how much you need to live. Uh, so many people that hear money doesn't buy you happiness, but people don't believe it um, until they've actually made it. And then they realize, wow, they were right. It doesn't buy me happiness. And so really figuring out treasure is critical. It is. And, and, and boy, Jesus said it, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. How about engagement? Yeah. What do you mean there? Well, this is really where the, the whole halftime thing just is, we just, I think, excel at. It's engaging in your calling, discovering and engaging in the good works that God put you on this planet to do. And so really, that's kind of matching up, what am I passionate about? What am I good at? And then how do I do that in a way that makes a positive difference in people's lives? And then the fourth piece is, how do I give God the glory? So what am I good at? What am I passionate about? How do I apply that in a way that makes a positive difference in people's lives and then give God the glory? And that's how you, that's the process for engaging in your calling. And it finally ends up in relationships really quick. Well, you know, it's just we, we are relational social creatures, and um, so much of our pain and lack of joy actually comes from uh, broken relationships in our marriages, in our parenting, our siblings. So really understanding how do I shore up my relationships is a critical step towards joy. And, and yes, it, I mean, this we've we've just covered, you know, a couple hundred pages in a few minutes. And it's so amazing. <laughs> you got to get a copy of this book by Jeff Spadafore, The Joy Model. Jeff, every book that I read, there's always one page that like wraps my head up, smacks upside of a tree and, and leaves a dent. Page 63, you say this, our lives won't change until we change what we focus on and put our energy into our focus and energy won't change unless we value unless what we value in life changes. Our values won't change unless our thinking changes. Our thinking won't change unless we start putting the right stuff into our brains in the first place. It's all Romans 12 2. It's there you all. go. That's it. That's why that's why abiding is so important. You know, really what it is, is we have been brainwashed by our popular culture to think a certain way and to act a certain way. 
And when you get into Scripture, you're actually unbrainwashing yourself to get the truth of how God really arranged the world to work. And so until we can get our, our the, the, you know, the deceitfulness of, of Satan's lies about how we think things work uh, and get that replaced with the truth, joy will always be elusive to you. And so it's so important to go there. And that changing the way we think, stop copying the behaviors and customs of this world and changing the way we think. It's an amazing thing that God can do in our lives. Jeff Spadafora with the Halftime Institute, thank you so much for sharing the joy model with our audience here on I Work For Him. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Jim. I really appreciate it, Jeff. Check out the Halftime Institute online at halftimeinstitute.org, halftimeinstitute.org. Listen, we all want to pursue joy. We all want to see what life is really all about. We're going to need to create some margin in order to do that. We really need to pursue the Lord in order to experience what Jesus said. He wanted us, He came that we might have life and live it to the fullest. And we've got to give ourselves time to do this. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace, it's my mission field. But ultimately, I work for Him.